Good morning all. Welcome to Calvary Chapel, Sydney on this uh, Daylight Savings Sunday. You guys all figured it out and got here on time, so well done. As you probably see, Pastor Ben is, uh, is off today, so he's over at uh, Camp Kidron teaching all week there. So you can keep him in prayer. Because I think last time... So hopefully that isn't the case with, with Pastor Ben. Um, the weekly announcements, uh, the weekly studies are still on hold. So last week is school holidays, and we start again next week. Um, so yeah. Biblical theology, since I'm teaching that, I get to plug it. So that's all good. So the Young Adults starts in nine days at my house on Tuesday the 11th. Um, I really encourage the young guys to really get into this. It, it'll, it'll solidify what you know, and more importantly, why do I know that? Why do I believe that? And we're also going to do it on Sunday after church starting in two weeks' time. Um, and again... It, it's good to know it again, even though you might know some of these things. It's good to reinforce a lot of these things. And I, I took notes on this. I took this course, what was it, 24 years ago, 23 years ago? I still use the notes to this day when I go back and, and, and do certain things. I go back and go, okay, just because we need to be reminded. And there's a lot to know, and there's a lot that this brain forgets. So... Um, so yeah, so what we'll do, open to uh, John chapter 16, and while you're doing that, uh, we'll just pray. Father, we just thank you for the time of worship, Lord. I, I, I love the last song, Lord, because that's the song we'll be singing similar to that in the throne room of heaven to you. It's just the majesty of who you are. And I, I personally can't wait for that day um, where all the tears will be dried up, all the pain will be gone. Lord, I, I, I look forward to that, to seeing you face to face. Uh, we pray this morning that you would uh, just work in our hearts, Lord, open our minds. The Holy Spirit, you would be here and we would know your presence, that we would know the power of your scripture and the power of your word and the power of your name. And we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, um, so John chapter 16. We're going to be going through the work of the Holy Spirit. And uh, sometimes we get confused and think we're on our own, or it's up to us to have the right words, to have the right demeanor, or to say the thing that's going to spark a heart, you know, to change something. And... No, we've got the greatest help. It's unbelievable how good it is. And when we get into chapter 16, this is a chapter that, well, it's a whole bunch of chapters. It's, the, it's really the Last Supper. It's the night of Jesus' uh, arrest, and it's not long until he's crucified. And um, as he's talking to his disciples, they, they don't really get it. He's told them many times, I'm... I'm going to leave, you know? But they're not quite getting it. And I identify these guys because I just don't get it a lot of times on things. 
And even though he says things and they ask him things back, you can tell they're not getting it, but he doesn't give up on them. He just, he's very patient with them, very patient and kind. And it would be a difficult time for him because he's saying goodbye. And it would be a difficult time for them when they hear these things about, I'm leaving. You're like, man, what are you talking about? I, they gave up everything to follow this guy. And yet he tells them uh, he's going to go. Um, we'll start in chapter 15. I'll just do a couple of verses here to get sort of the, the gist of where things are at. Um, so John chapter 15, verses 18 and 19. After he talks about uh, how he's one with the believers and how the believers are together within themselves and how they should love each other, he says, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. What a nice thing to learn tough thing to learn. Because the world hates me, Jesus says, that it's going to hate you. It's not going to like you. You are different. But he's preparing them. At the end of this chapter, he, he talks about the Holy Spirit, this helper. Um, so verse 26 of chapter 15. But when the helper comes, whom I shall send to you from the Father the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. And you also will bear witness because you have been with me from the beginning. Previously, he's only mentioned the Holy Spirit twice in this Last Supper discourse. He talks to disciples. In chapter 14, he introduces him for the first time. And in chapter 14, verse 16 and 17, I will pray the Father and he will give you another helper that he may abide with you forever, the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. He then moves on just a couple sentences later and in verse 26 he says, but the helper of the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring, bring to your remembrance all things that I have said to you. This would have been very, very strange to hear this, this helper who's going to come. But he gives some insight. He says the helper is going to abide with you. He calls him the spirit of truth. And then he says he's going to be in you. Like that is just so powerful that the believers have the Holy Spirit in them. And he just throws it out there. He doesn't teach much about this. The Apostle Paul's going to teach a lot as he goes through and teaches epistles to the, to the believers throughout the, the known world at the time. In verse 26, he said, the Holy Spirit, he will teach. He will teach you things and he will bring things to your remembrance. How good is that? Especially for you guys are probably a little bit better than me. As I get older, I forget things. I, it's just amazing. 
Like, you just do. But he brings things to remembrance to help us. That is so powerful. So in moving forward again back to chapter 15, he talks about the third time he says, the helper, he comes, he's the spirit of truth, he proceeds from the Father, he will testify of me. He will talk about me. Everything that the Holy Spirit will do will be pointing towards me, Jesus says. And that's important to understand this. It, can, it helps us to understand what's right and what's wrong. Because many people can say the Holy Spirit's doing this, but he always testifies of Jesus. So he testifies of Jesus, and then he says in verse 27, but you also will bear witness. Why? Because you, were with, you have been with me from the beginning. You're with me. There is a connection. We're part of each other. And the Holy Spirit works with the believer. He works in conjunction with the believer. Why? Because we're with Jesus. We're, that's it. That's it. Not because of anything that you do, not because of how good you are, but because you believe. That is so powerful. It, it makes no difference how good you think you've done or how well you performed. He's there because Jesus said it, and we're with him. That's it. So let's get into chapter 16 because Jesus starts to unfold a lot about the Holy Spirit. Verses 1 through 4. These things I have spoken to you, that you should not be made to stumble. They will put you out of synagogues. Yes, the time is coming that whoever kills you will think that he offers God's service. And these things they will do to you because they have not known the Father nor me. But these things I have told you, that when the time comes, you may remember that I told you of them. And these things I did not say to you at the beginning because I was with you. Jesus starts out and says these things. Obviously, these things are just before. He talks about how difficult life's going to be. They hated me. They hate you. The helper's coming. And just to be prepared so you don't stumble, that you don't get tripped up, that you don't get caught, that you don't lose your way. He says, the world's going to hate you. Be aware of this. In 2 and 3, he says, they will kick you out of the synagogues. The religious people will not like your message. You would think, wait a second. Here's the message of the Messiah, the king of the world, the one who saves. They're not going to like this. Understand that. Because you would have thought, once he's, he's finished it all, it's like, won't the world just love this message? And No. And they actually, he says, they think they offer God's service. Like this is, this is exemplified by Saul, who was the apostle Paul. I mean, he thought he was doing God a service by going over and throwing Christians in jail and killing them. I, I really love the apostle Paul because if you look at the apostle Paul, he really is, if you, if you broke it down to simplicity, he was a mass murderer. And yet God used him unbelievably. And like, if he can use that background, well, I've never killed anybody, so he can use me. It is awesome to think about that, just in its simplicity. Um, and in verse 4, but these things I have told you that when the time comes, you remember. 
Like it's going to be hard. Understand this. Remember I told you. When the time come, remember I told you. Then in verse 5, he introduces the helper. And he talks about this helper. Now, he's only thrown it in three times as helper. And it's like, a helper? What are you talking Helper? What are you talking about? Verses 5 through 11. And we're going to spend a lot of time on these verses because we understand these. It really helps us all. But now I go away to him who sent me. But none of you ask me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Of sin, because they do not believe in me. Of righteousness, because I go to my father and you see me no more. Of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Verse 5, he says, I'm going to go away. But none of you ask me, where am I going? Now, they hadn't previously asked him, what are you talking about? Where are you going? But it was always like Peter said, I'll go with you. I'll die with you. When their responses to Jesus about Jesus leaving, it was always about themselves. Like, this impacts me. It wasn't to the point of, well, where are you? Jesus, where are you going? What's your trip going to be like? How's it going to be? It's like, no, where are you going? I'll go with you because I'm afraid. I'm scared. I want to be with you. It's whole impacts me. And he's sitting there going, I've told you I'm leaving, but none of you asked me where I'm going. He tells them, you're sad because of this. And sorrow has filled your heart. This would have been really, really hard to follow someone for three, to give up your job, to give up your family, to give up everything that your parents had told you what to do and then follow Jesus. And you're like, you're leaving? Huh? Um, I remember when... Um, David Guzik, some of you probably would have been here at the time when he was here, and we're going to talk about this, because he, he talked about this same passage. And even now, it's, I still remember it to this day. Um, David's a guy who, uh, he, he's done the Bible college in Europe. He, he's pastored a few churches. Um, he's a really good Bible t teacher, and uh, Pastor Ben uses his commentaries all the time. Um, Personally, I, I like his commentaries. He's really solid. And if you ever get a chance to just drop, drop, jump online, Blue Letter Bible, and just read his stuff. It's really, really solid stuff. It's simple. And he makes it quite simple. I like teachers who make things simple because a lot of it becomes very complicated. I like Ben. He, ben makes things simple. You can tell him that too. So, you know. But he says, you know, I'm leaving and you're sad. And that would be a normal reaction to be sad. I think they were just like perplexed beyond belief that he's going to leave. Then in verse 7, he says, nonetheless. Nonetheless actually means despite all that, despite that, I know the message that I'm leaving is hard, but despite that, 
I tell you the truth. That it's to your advantage that I leave. They would have went, are you out of your mind? What do you mean it's to, it's to my advantage? Like when David was here, David Guzik was here, he said, if you had the choice, you're, sitting, you're standing with Jesus. Jesus is right here. We'd all choose. I, I, want, I want that. Because you look at Jesus, if anybody's crippled or hurting or in pain, what does he do? He heals them. If um, need a miracle, Jesus provides miracles. Um, he makes you feel safe. These guys felt safe within him. I mean, they, 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 they understood that he was the Messiah. The, the hope of the world, the hope of the Jewish teachings for how long, he's, he's right there. Um, there's no one like him. There's no one like him. You know? He, uh, you, you'll, they probably learned more in those three years, actually in one day, than they'd ever learned. Just by watching him, hearing him, seeing him, and the way he acts. Unreal. Um, he's the promised one, and he says, no, it's to your advantage that I leave. That just sounds strange. How can that possibly be? But he says, if I leave, if I leave, then I can send the helper. The Father will send the helper. There's going to be someone who is going to help you. And I'm sure they just sat there and went, how could, how could something be better for me than you? But he says, no, this is, he says, I tell you the truth. This is the truth. It's something they had to believe. Because when the helper comes, it's to our advantage. He actually comes to us. Um, the Holy Spirit's presence and the work comes to every believer, to every place. When Jesus was here, he could only minister to those who were in his vicinity. If you had to go back to your work or wherever, you're like, well, he's with them, but he's not with me. But he says, no, if I go away, it's, it's to your advantage. When the Holy Spirit comes, he's with every single one of us, wherever we go, whenever we go, 24-7, he's there. We've got help. And it's so nice to have help because I need lots of help. And my family would say amen to that. There's lots of help. I need help. And I do. I need help. I need help to not get angry. I need help to understand things. I need help to be loving. I need help to be gracious. I need help. But it's to our advantage that Jesus physically left the earth. He's actually in heaven. He's in, he's in the throne room. Those of you who have been in the, the Hebrew study, he's in the throne room. He's our great high priest and he's praying for us. <laughs> you don't know, understand how important that is. Like, how good is that? 
that whatever situation you're going in, he is at the right hand of the Father praying for us, praying for you. You're like, wow. This is why the scriptures are so important. It just, it just encourages us to understand just how good God is. He testifies of us. We read it back in the chapter before. He testifies of Jesus. He helps us to know him. He helps us to understand Jesus more because we couldn't do it. We don't have that ability. He helps us. It's so cool. And at the end of verse 7, I want you guys to look at this. He says, if I depart, I will send him to you. You. Not to the world. He says it to you. I will send it to the believer. The Holy Spirit comes to the believer. The Holy Spirit comes to the church. He works through us. And this is really important to understand this. He works through us. And as we get to the next bit about what the Holy Spirit is always doing, we need to understand he works with us and through us. There's a connection. He testifies of Jesus, and Jesus also says, I want you to be a witness as well. So here we go. Verse 8. When he has come, he will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. This is what the Holy Spirit does. Sin, righteousness, judgment, he convicts. The word convict means to, uh, to bring light, to expose, to convict, to convince. The Holy Spirit brings light. The Holy Spirit convicts. The Holy Spirit convinces. And he's really good at it. Do you know why you're here? Because he did it to you. He did it for you. Because he loves you. And he'll do it for more. Like, I'm a... If you had known me when I was 25 years old, you would not think that I would be here doing this. But the Holy Spirit is really good at his job. He's really, real. he's the best. He's God, he knows what he's doing. It says he convicts the world of sin. Well, that's the truth about man, okay? Then he says he convicts the world of righteousness. Well, that's the truth about God. And then he says, I will convict the world of judgment. That's really the combination of the result of those two truths coming together. Of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's what he does. He brings light. He exposes. He convicts. He convinces. I still remember the moment that he opened my eyes. He did it. He did it. And he did it to you. Okay, so verse 9. He goes and talks about all of these three points. The first one, verse 9, of sin, because they do not believe in me. So the sin that he convicts the world of is not of the things that somebody does wrong, of being a bad person. One thing. They do not believe in Jesus. 
It's unbelief. And that's the one thing we're told in, a, in another part of scripture. When you reject the Holy Spirit, that's the, that's the unpardonable sin. They don't believe. They don't believe. But for me, he convicted me and he changed it. I went from unbelief to belief in the fraction of a second. Bang. And that's what he does. He convicts the world that they don't believe. The second part he talks about is of righteousness. Verse 10, of righteousness, because I go to my Father and you see me no more. I would have thought he would have convicted the world of unrighteousness, but he doesn't. He convicts the world of righteousness. And look how he describes righteousness. Who does he talk about? In verse 10, he talks about himself. I go to the Father and you see me no more. Righteousness, what is righteousness? To be right with God. Jesus is right with God. He goes to the Father and you see him no more. What that tells us is he could actually go to heaven and he can be accepted. He came and died on a cross for our sins to pay the price, even though he was a sinless man, and God looks at that and says, yes, I'm okay with that. I'm right with that. Jesus, you're right with me. He goes to the Father and he stays there. He's accepted. He's right with God. And we are the recipients of that rightness, righteousness, rightness. Who's, who, who's talking here, you know? But that's important to know this. Because I would have thought he would have convicted the world of unrighteousness. Oh, you're, you're, you're horrible. You've done this. You've done No. He convinces the world. He convinced me that Jesus was acceptable. Awesome. Awesome. This is what the Holy Spirit does. And I, as I said, he's really good at this. He's really good. Now we're going to read about judgment. And this is really strange how he describes this. Verse 11, of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now judgment, the day of reckoning, you know, the day of sentencing. You know, if we commit a crime, you get sentenced. And you would think punishment, everything else. But look what he talks about. Like I used to read this for years and go, what is he talking about here? I don't get this. Because you're like, judgment? Because the rule, what does the ruler of the world have to do with me? A lot. Okay? So, the ruler of the world. The ruler of the world is Satan. Believe it or not, he rules the world. It's all over the place. Um, Turn with me to the book of Ephesians. A little bit to the right. Because this is important to know this too. So Satan is the number one. He's number one in the world. He's the ruler. There's no one higher than him in ruling this world. 
You go, wait a second, what about Jesus? Jesus will rule this world, but at the moment, Satan has it. Look at what it tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. And he's talking about us who've been changed from death to life, to being unbelievers, to being believers. Verse one, uh, verse 1 of chapter 2. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins, in which you once walked according to the prince of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, which is Satan, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. That's really everyone who doesn't believe. They just will follow him by default because it's not a choice. They just follow him by default. God's wooing everyone. And it says, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves. The apostle Paul wrote this, Saul of Tarsus, we conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and were, of, were by nature children of wrath just as the others. Satan actually controls the things. He controls the views of the world, how things work. He's behind the scenes doing this stuff. Now, if you go back to John, chapter 16, of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, if he's number one and he's judged, and he's going to be sentenced. Well, why on earth would you follow someone who's going to be judged? Who's already lost? When Jesus died on that cross, he won the victory. He's won it. And we also are victors because of our belief in him. Now, if Satan's cause is really a lost cause. Why would you follow someone who's a lost cause? Like, why would you? That's the judgment. If he's there and you're following him, well, guess where you're going to follow him to? Nowhere. That's what Jesus is telling us. So we have in verse 9 of sin, unbelief, 11, judgment, Similar to going to court, you go to court, you're finally convicted, and then you're sentenced, and you got to go to jail. But in the middle of this, the Holy Spirit convicts the world of righteousness. Not your righteousness, Jesus' righteousness. And he comes right in the middle there and says, bang, I've already paid the price. The sentence is already done. You don't have to go to jail. You don't have to go to hell. You can go to heaven. And that's what the Holy Spirit does. And he works through us. So anytime that you walk into a room, not even saying something, but he does want you to testify. We testify with the things we do. We testify with the things we say. Do you ever notice that people just get uncomfortable? Do you know why? Because the Holy Spirit's really good at what he does. He's really good. It has nothing to do, well, it does have something to do with you. It's because the Holy Spirit's in you and they're uncomfortable. Don't get frustrated by it. Understand, he's, this is exciting. 
He's working. I can remember people over the course of my 20s talking to me about Jesus. You guys know the story. The one guy came to my, my, um, my room to tell me about Jesus. I took off and left Rodney Burton there, and he got saved that night. You know? Why? Because I was convicted. I, would, didn't, I didn't like it. I left. But God didn't say, screw this guy. You know, sorry about that, you know. He, I, I'm done with him. No, he wooed me. He came and he did the, you know, and he finally got my attention. He finally broke me. That's what he does. He's really good. He's really good. Be encouraged. This is what he does. He convicts people of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. It's awesome. It's, don't think it's not hard. Because he said, listen, the world hates you. The whole mindset hates you. Understand it. But he's good at what he does. Like if, if God didn't care, he wouldn't do this. But he does care. He cares an awful lot. He, he's awesome. 12 to 15. I still have many things to say to you. But you cannot bear them now. However... When he, the spirit has come, the spirit of truth has come, he will guide you into all truth for he will speak of his own authority. He will not speak of his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will tell you of things to come. He will glorify me. Remember that for all time. He will glorify me. For he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. All things that the father has are mine. Therefore, I said that he will take of mine and declare it to you. When the Holy Spirit comes, he tells them the spirit of truth. He will guide you into truth. He will tell you of things to come. Now, this is fulfilled in the New Testament. He made things clear. He still does it today in us. He helps us understand truth and of things to come. Like, I'm still amazed that I believe that I will whew, meet him in the clouds. It's ridiculous. But you know what? Scripture says that. And I've come to the belief and to the point of understanding whatever he says is going to happen. Like, I used to jump quite high when I was younger. And as I go, I don't jump as high. Like, Touching the net is a hard thing in basketball for me these days. Actually, coming down is a little bit harder than going up, if, to, be, to be honest. But to just, whew, it's going to happen because he said it's going to happen. I believe it. But he will glorify me. Again, the Holy Spirit always glorifies Jesus. He never glorifies himself. You know, if, if the camera were on the Holy Spirit, the camera, he'd be sitting there going, put it over there, on him, on him. And when you see people say the Holy Spirit asked me to do something, the Holy Spirit always will align with Scripture and will always align with Jesus. He has to because that's what he does. And when he doesn't, then you go, hold on a second, something's not right here. Something's not right. And that's just maturing. And then in verse 15, he tells him he's God. 
He, ba he, ba he makes himself equal. All things of the Father has are mine. There you go. And he says, he will declare it to me. He got the Trinity right there. The Father, Son, the Holy Spirit right there. And again, we'll, if you want to come to the biblical theology, a little plug, we'll talk about the Trinity and how that comes to be because there are groups who don't believe in the Trinity. But the Trinity's there. The Trinity's there. How are we good for time, guys? Good? Okay. We'll finish through the rest of this. Because we still got uh, communion to do too. 16 through 19. And here is a little twister he goes in there. A little while and you will, see, you will not see me. And again, a little while, and you will see me, because I go to the Father. Then some of the disciples said among themselves, which is amazing that they were talking to themselves, what is this that he says to, you, to us, a little while, and you will not see me, and again, a little while, and you will see me, and because I go to the Father? They said, therefore, what is this that he says a little while? We do not know what he is saying. Now Jesus knew that they desired to ask him. And he said to them, Are you inquiring among yourselves about what I said a little while? And you will not see me. And again a little while. And you will see me. Like they had no idea. We can look back and look 22,000 years later. And we learn the scriptures. And we're like, well, it's obvious. Well, it could be one of two things. It could be that he was going to leave them and die and come back to life. Obviously, they'd be sad when he died. They'd be over the moon and he came back to life. Like over the moon. Or it could be that he was going to leave planet Earth and he would be in heaven and either he's coming back or when they die, I see him. Because he does say, because I go to the Father could be a little bit of both. I probably lean towards the second one, but I think they both work. But could you imagine this? They're in the upper room. He's teaching them. He's telling them. He's the, they know he's the Messiah. He tells them something and they start talking. Hey, Phil, what the heck's he talking about, man? Like, what's going on? Martin, how can that possibly be? And it's like Jesus is right there. He's right there. But you know what? It's just like us. It's just like us. You know, either you're calling someone else or you're talking to yourself. You know, you, you internalize what the heck's going on. And it's like, You've got a helper. Jesus is praying for you. Jesus said, I will never leave you and never forsake you. And he is just like us. What's Jesus' response? Are you inquiring among yourselves? Like, guys, I'm right here. You ever see those sort of uh, sitcoms and they start talking, you know, what the heck's wrong with this guy? And it's like, guys, I'm right here. I can hear what you're saying, you know? Jesus, he's right there. Talk to him. Ask him. 
What's, I don't understand this. Talk to him. Twenty to twenty-two. We'll get through this. Most assuredly, I say to you that you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. And you will be sorrowful, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. A woman, when she is in labor, has sorrow because her hour has come. But as soon as she has given birth to the child, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. Therefore, you now have sorrow, but I will see you again and your heart will rejoice and your joy no one will take from you. This is a principle that we really, really need to understand because we so often get it wrong, okay? The principle is this. Joy comes by transformation, not by substitution. Often hard times come and you're like, Lord, get me out of here. But that doesn't work. And he gives a principle, he gives an illustration through the woman having a child. Now, I think everybody knows here, childbirth is really hard. Even with an epidural, it's really hard, you know? But the baby that causes the pain is the same baby that causes the joy. And Jesus is sitting there going, I'm not removing the baby. I'm just transforming the situation. I'm transforming this. And we need to know this. We need to understand this. Because when pain comes and hurt comes, Lord, change this, remove this, do this. And he's like, no. Here's the illustration. Just like a baby that causes pain, the same baby causes the joy. When we try to solve things by substitution, removing things or whatever, it shows that we're really immature and we're not growing. But when we are in a situation and you can embrace it, know that God has put you in it for a reason, okay? It shows faith, it shows maturity that he will... And look at what he says here in verse 20. At the end, but your sorrow will be turned into joy. He's not just going to drop joy there. The situation will be turned from one into joy. That's what God does. And don't get me wrong. It is hard as when these hard, difficult things come. But to understand a maturity, to know that God's going to see you through. He's going to use that situation. I don't know how, but he does. And he'll do this. And to end, last two verses. He turns things into joy. 23 and 24. In that day, you will ask me nothing. Most assuredly, I say to you, whatever you ask, in my, my, ask the Father in my name, he will give you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be full. So when Jesus came back from the dead, I'm sure, well, Scripture tells us they didn't ask for anything. 
I'm sure they were just like shocked. Like, he's here, you know? And then he just shows up and then he leaves and he just disappears from the room and then he shows up on the seashore and he starts cooking and then he disappears. And it's... But he wanted them to know something that's so important. And it's so important for me and it's so important for you. And the simple fact of the matter is, he says, you're not asking. You're not asking. You're not asking. And he says, until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Listen to this, guys. And I'm talking to myself. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Ask him. That doesn't, if we, I, I think we know we've been taught enough not to ask for ridiculous things. I'm not going to go through that. But what he's saying is, talk to God. Talk to him. He was in a room and they start talking to each other. Talk to God. Talk. That your joy may be full. How many times, I can tell you how many times in my life that issues happen and you just internalize or you talk to somebody and it's like nothing. And time goes by and time goes by. And I'm sure you're all the same. Time goes by and you're still stuck in the situation. Like, ask Jesus, like, your joy may be full. The only way we get joy is through him. He says, I will give you my joy. But there has to be the interaction. It doesn't happen by osmosis, by default. He wants that connection. He uses us. The Holy Spirit comes to us. The Holy Spirit doesn't come to the world floating around. He comes to us and he works through us. And so if the Holy Spirit has prompted you to pray, which I'm sure he has, because he wants you to pray, he wants your joy to be full. That's all I've got for you today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your love. We thank you that you have sent the Holy Spirit. He has come. He is a person. And he fills us and he is in us. And he is a helper. And Lord, we are so desperate for help. But you are an ever-present help in time of need. You're an ever-present help all the time. So we thank you, Lord. We hope and pray that these words that you spoke to disciples, which were so relevant for them, are just as relevant for us today because you're really good at your work. You're really good at what you do. And you love our friends. You love our families. You love our neighbors. You love our workmates. You love our classmates. And Lord, knowing that we are a witness and you fill us with your spirit to be that witness. And as we act and as we talk, we trust you to do the work that you are so good at, to convicting the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. And I'm so thankful that you convict the world of righteousness, of your goodness, that you're accepted and you do that. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.